0: A footstool for your feet.
1: The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying,
0: Rule in the midst of your enemies.
1: Your troops will be willing on the day of battle, arrayed in holy splendour. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind.
0: You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek.
1: The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. Good evening. I thought it might just be me and one other tonight, actually, with everyone being away on holiday, so thank you for coming. Psalm 110. Wow, what a psalm. If you'd like to turn to it, it'd be good to have it open. We're going to have it on the screen as well. Um, right, there it is. First three verses, and then on the next slide, which I think I've got the power. Let me just check that that works. There we go. We've got the remaining four. How hard could it be? There's only seven. I thought when I did a swap, I was meant to be um, speaking on my birthday, which is August the 30th, and I did a swap with Philip, and I think Philip got about 30 verses on the 30th, and I thought, yes. Anyway, we're going to look at this together. Um, We've had it read to us already a couple of times. Thank you for reading it, you guys. It's good to have the voice of the Lord there for us. Um, We will find that it's Even a little more complicated than that, Um, but we'll come to that in a moment. But we're continuing our series of um, finding Christ, finding Jesus in the Psalms. And this may be a very uh, familiar psalm to you, it might be a a new one to you. Let's pray as we begin. Lord God, we thank you for inspiring David to write this psalm all those years ago. And as we look at your word together... Please help us to discover more about the Lord Jesus, our Lord and our Saviour, the everlasting Priest and King. Amen. So if you bear with me, I will make a bold statement without any evidence. It's not a good practice, but we'll start like that. For the purpose of introducing this psalm, if you just bear with me, Where we read Lord, have I got a little pointy on here? Oh, that does a clever thing. I just did that, that's amazing, isn't it? Right, where where you see Lord written like this, um, or like here, I want you to interpret it in a certain way, because you'll notice there's a couple of Lords in here. So when you see it written like that, if you could bear with me without any evidence, just trust me for the moment. Take it to mean the Lord Jesus Christ in his ascended form. The ascended Lord Jesus. Not just the pre-existing form of the Son of God from the beginning, who was with God, who was God, and all was made through him, but the ascended Jesus. The one who came from heaven, began a life as a man, his father being God, his mother being Mary, who lived, died, rose, and ascended after his victory back into the presence of the Father. David refers to this Jesus as my Lord. And in other places in the psalm he says the Lord, spelt with a capital L and three three little consonants afterwards. But since this was before the incarnation of Christ... How can David speak of him as my Lord? Maybe that doesn't raise itself as a question to you, but it has for many people over many years. We'll come back to that, and we'll muster some evidence as we go and we search through the psalm. So what I'd like to do is um, do a structure of the psalm, and I'm sure there are people out there that could do this far better than me, but I'm going to give it a go. I want to try and understand how it's structured, who's speaking. Now, it might be totally obvious to you, but on a Sunday evening when it's pretty warm, it might be helpful to talk it through. We find here five points where David, firstly, is directly addressing the reader, So That's you and me. So a good example of that is up at the top here. He's talking to you and me. He's saying, do you know what? In fact, that's written in lowercase. That probably should be capitals. That will not help tonight. (laughs) Okay. Trust me. This is a statement to us. He's saying to us, do you know? The Lord says to my Lord. So there's one part where David is directly addressing the reader. There's another part where David is addressing the Lord or my Lord. The ascended Christ. And that's where we see it written like this, and there are parts here which says, "I'm just step down here so it's a little easier for me to read. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, who's he talking about? Which yore is he talking about? He's talking about the Lord Jesus. So David's either addressing the reader, he's addressing the Lord, and we're going to look at these carefully as we go through. Or David quotes the voice of the Father, God, Yahweh, often written in Bibles as Lord in capital letters and ours unfortunately doesn't here. But you'll see it and I'll point them out as we go. He sometimes quotes directly the Lord and what the Father is saying to Jesus. Is this starting to blow your mind? Just thinking what we're talking about here, that we have a psalm where David is relaying to us a conversation it's a one way conversation within the godhead and in some of those quotes that we see that the the father says to jesus rule in the midst of your enemies who's the father talking to yeah the ascended jesus that's who he's talking to so you've got all this dialogue going on The reader is addressed, David addresses the Lord, Jesus, he quotes the voice of God, and in those quotes, the Lord, the Father, addresses the Lord Jesus. And just for completeness, if we go to the next slide, oh no, it's seized up now. Does it work up there for you, David? Hey, it's back. Thank you. Oh, we've got a different font now. <laughs> so if you want to have a Bible open, it might be helpful as well. I'll refer, I'll refer to the verses that we're looking at. So we've had all those different ones. And now how about a new one here? In, oh, it's gone back again. There we go. Seven. Perfect. The Lord is at your right hand. Read that one carefully. Who's talking there? And about who? Confused yet? Whose right hand are we talking about? Whose right hand? God the Father. So this is being addressed. The Lord is at your right hand. Yeah? Yeah? The Lord Jesus is at the right hand of God. And what will he do, says David? He's talking to God the Father. He's saying, the Lord is at your right hand. What will he do? He will crush. He will judge. He will drink from a brook. And he will lift up his head. So that wasn't intended to confuse you, Though I'd probably done a pretty good job. It was more to show you that this is a seven-verse psalm which opens something into What's going in with, on within the Godhead? Which is a mystery and a wonderful thing to even get a glimpse of, isn't it? And how did David write this? Having never met Christ. So what does it mean to us? You'll be glad to know that um, you notice Melchizedek's mentioned there. He doesn't actually say anything in this psalm which is helpful because that's one less person to worry about. But we will come back to him a bit later. But there's one other thing going on here. And drawing no attention to himself, we discover the work of God the Holy Spirit, inspiring David in the first place, revealing these mysteries of the dialogue in the Godhead and giving us understanding as we look at it many years later. Wow. So I ask you to make a uh, kind of an assumption Trust me, without any evidence, that where it says Lord, it's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ in his ascended form. Read things critically. It's always good for us to do that. I've just finished some study, and that's one of the things I encourage you to do. Read things critically. Could it be anyone else? It doesn't mention Jesus in here at all. Could it be anyone else? It's a good thing to do, to go to scripture with an inquisitive mind and ask the Holy Spirit to help you and apply your brain to it. And as I've read what people have written over this week, who have delved into this, they've pointed me to the Lord Jesus in so many ways that there isn't time to talk through them tonight, but we're going to have a go at some. But as we go through, I might just refer to the Lord. I might not say the ascended Jesus. But that's who I'm referring to. And let the evidence speak to you. And let it speak to your heart. So in verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord. So here we have David. A king. So he's not someone who's insignificant. He's acknowledged that whoever it was. As someone who he addressed as his Lord. It was someone who pretty important, because it's someone above a king. He acknowledges this person, and he addresses him as Lord. And not just, as Jackie said, not just as a a sort of a, a formal title, but as a personal, this is my Lord. So it's obviously someone of great status, whom Yahweh, as we saw there, this Lord says, to this Lord, this is God the Father speaking to the Lord and what's he saying sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet so it's the Lord that the Father addresses here and who's it speaking of This is the decree of God himself. See what God says. This is God saying, sit at my right hand. This is this dialogue in the Godhead which is too wonderful almost to look upon. Sit at my right hand. He's given the highest honour with absolute sovereign power because this is God the Father saying this. Power both on heaven and in earth sitting at God's right hand and some people describe sitting as resting or ruling or remaining you could apply those to the ascended Christ resting after his sufferings ruling giving law and judgment remaining established forever we have a man in heaven Sat at God's right hand, by the decree and appointment of God, ascended and exalted. Note the last two lines of that. The Lord, in this place of power and authority, has enemies. It's bizarre, isn't it? You would have thought such glory would attract everyone, but it doesn't. Does Christ have enemies? In our world. In verse 2, the Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. So this is David speaking, and he's saying, The Lord will extend your, this is Jesus's, the ascended Christ, your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Then he quotes God the Father, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Lord, Jesus, your enemies, rule in the midst of them. And that's a subject which would be great to ask the pastors to preach on. How can a king rule when they're surrounded by enemies and they're opposed? Because it happens. But having that explained to us from the Bible is probably a really helpful thing at some point. So this Lord should have a kingdom set up in the world beginning in Jerusalem, in Zion, and Christ shall rule. There, I've slipped Christ in. I've reverted, not just from saying the Lord, I'm helping present some evidence. The Lord shall rule. believe it's Christ. And he shall give laws, and he shall govern his subject, and he shall rule his subjects in the midst of his enemies. So if your life is submitted to Christ, who's your king? Who rules you? Regardless of whether others oppose your king, who do you submit to? Who is your king? We pray that it's the one sitting on the right hand of the Father. So he has enemies that fight against his kingdom and his subjects, but they will in due time be made his footstool read that in verse 1, didn't we? He will subdue them and he will triumph over them. So whoever this Lord is, not only have they been decreed by God with great power, that's not just for one point in time, that's an enduring power. There will be ultimate power. Not immediately, and we'll see later in the psalm, he shall wait till it's done. And all their might won't disturb his government. Does this speak of the Lord Jesus Christ to you? Does it resound in your heart that who else, who else is this that David is addressing? Verse 3, your troops will be willing on your day of battle arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's room. Isn't that beautiful poetry? What does it mean? So let's go back. So your troops. Whose troops are we talking about? Well, if we go back to verse 2, it says, the Lord will extend your mighty scepter, speaking to the ascended Jesus. And you will rule in the midst of your enemies and your troops, the Lord's troops. What kind of character are they going to have? Are they going to be coerced? Forced? Oh, you want me to fight? No. These are willing troops. But this tells us that there will be a day of battle. And these troops are willing in contrast to enemies who oppose him. The poetic language can be interpreted several different ways. I'll just share a couple of things that some clever people have said about this. It says that he will find, the Lord, his troops, will find a multitude of willing followers saved by the grace of God. And there will be great numbers of people devoted to him. An abundance of young converts or a new starting of people. And maybe you could say that was the New Testament church. When the church was young, when it was in its youth, many came to Christ at that time by the power of the Spirit. Or it could be where it speaks about the Jews of the summer morning. What does dew do when it brings life to the earth? These young converts, those with energy, those that are called of God, willing followers, they will bring fruit to the earth. It's good to have dew in the morning. Maybe in the early days of the gospel, in the morning of the New Testament, the youth of the church, great numbers, Flock to Christ. And this Jew of youth is, some say, numerous, illustrious, hopeful. It's a show of people flocking to Christ, flocking to this Lord, willing to be troops. Oh, that the church would fall to the ground as Jew and be fruitful we'll come back to willing troops at the end shortly i going to try and change it now
0: <coughs>
1: no can you move it forward one for me oh, I told Project I'd go <laughs> do you want to move it forward for me David when you get a moment that'd be great thank you it's fine so verse 4 this is David addressing you and me as the reader he says do you know what the Lord has sworn and he won't change his mind it's like an oath then he quotes the words of God the Father Lord in capital letters what does God the Father say to the Lord, to the ascended Christ what does he say? he says you are Not only sitting at my right hand and ruling and will crush enemies, there'll be a footstool for you, but there's another role. You're a priest. Forever. In the order of Melchizedek, and we'll have a look at that in a second. So the Lord in this psalm is appointed... An everlasting priest. Hmm, who else could that be? Are you like me becoming convinced that this is speaking about the Lord Jesus, the ascended Christ? Our Lord is appointed the everlasting priest to make atonement for our sins. He's God's minister to us and our advocate to God. He's the mediator. And it isn't just a part-time thing that's a good idea at the moment, but it will, you know, work its time out. There is no other dispensation of grace than the priesthood of Christ. It must be Christ. Confirmed by the highest ratifications possible, the oath of God himself. If we're not sure, we can read it again. You are a priest forever. Who says that? God the Father to who? God the Son. Written by David, inspired by the Spirit. This is an unshakable foundation to our faith. And then he says it's of the order of Melchizedek. Ooh... If you've ever read the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, it's a lovely challenge for them, this, this line. They spend, you can have a look, almost a chapter and a bit, talking to this. We'll read a bit of it in a moment. See, Jesus wasn't a Levite. He wasn't from the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah, yeah. Descendant of David, his son of David. So he wasn't of a priestly line because that's how you became a priest whether you 're a good or a bad one, whether you 're a Levite, a priest, a chief priest, or a high priest. you were all from this tribe of Levi, and it was hereditary, and it went on. Jesus was from Judah let's jump to Hebrews. Chapter 7, if you have a Bible, you can, you can turn to it or you can just close your eyes and listen. It's titled Melchizedek the Priest. And then halfway down the chapter, we won't get this far, it says Jesus like Melchizedek. And then chapter 8, it says the high priest of a new covenant. That's Jesus. Chapter and a half is dedicated, but it begins with this. It says, this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and he blessed them. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness and also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, like a history of his relatives, without beginning of days or end of life. Wow, what a mysterious character Melchizedek is. Resembling the Son of God. What? He remains a priest forever. I will read the next bit because I think it's good to hear. But let's just pause there for a second. He remains a priest forever. And you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, in that style. You had no beginning, you had no end. <laughs> the Lord He's talking to, who's he talking to? The Lord Jesus, he ascended Jesus. And it's of a type. It's not from human genealogy like the Levites. This is different. Melchizedek was before the Levites. He was before. And he's quite mysterious. Not much is known. But I tell you something. Abraham, like, gave him a tithe. He gave him a tenth. So he was held in some high esteem, it was. Even though we know little. And the writer of the Hebrews goes on. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires a descendants of Levi, who become priests, to collect a tenth from the people. That is, from their fellow Israelites. Even though they also are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descendant from Levi... Yet, he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. And it goes on a little. In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects a tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham. Because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. Fabulous part of scripture, isn't it? amazing but the relevance to what we're looking at tonight is that verse there you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek all that we've read about Melchizedek was like a picture a better picture than the Levite system if you like because that's what the Bible says Jesus was of that order Hmm. verse 5 back in the psalm the lord is at your right hand this is one we looked at er- earlier this is david speaking to god the father he says look the lord is at your right hand and what will he do and this is quite scary he will crush kings on the day of his wrath so kings individuals people of high importance people who set them up selves up perhaps in opposition to this Lord, individuals, those with power and perceived power. What else? He will judge not just individuals, but nations. And this is frightening. And it is distressing when I was reading this. Heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. And it makes you quite sad, doesn't it? That this glorious priest this ruling king at the right hand of God has such opposition the conqueror the Lord the ascended Jesus to whom whom all judgment is committed he speaks as much terror to his enemies as happiness to his people he crushes his enemies it says and there's a time fixed for this victory when the day of his wrath comes. And we read his victory extends both very high to the greatest of men who set themselves up against Christ and it extends very far, wherever his enemies are. It spoke about the nations. But even then he shall judge with justice. We read elsewhere in the Bible, he will judge with justice. This isn't some mad distressed person whose pride's been dented this is a just holy God what else will the Lord do does David say verse 7 so we're drawing to the end he will drink from a brook along the way and so he will lift up his head high high I think this speaks about the Lord, whoever this person may be, the ascended Christ, I still suggest and believe to be true. Is someone that shall be humbled and somebody that shall be exalted. Somebody that shall be humbled and drink from a brook, and this is symbolic of the, the Kidron Valley, which is by the Mount of Olives, and Jesus would have gone across it. And in Psalm 110, it says about Drinking from a brook on the way. And that brook was a symbolic black brook. And on the way to our redemption and our salvation, Jesus took a bitter cup. I suppose you could link this to other things, but with everything else in the psalm, doesn't that say Christ to you? He will drink from a brook along the way, he will be humbled. He drank deeply of this as part of our salvation. Such that after he rose from death and after he ascended to heaven, he was vindicated by God the Father. And he was told, sit at my right hand. And he was told, you are a priest in the order of Melchizedek forever. That's vindication ruling king high priest when he died he bowed his head we read that in John 19 but he lifted up his head as a conqueror lifted above his enemies and his exaltation was the reward of this humiliation he humbled himself and therefore God highly exalted him And he sits and he rules at the right hand of God. And from what else we know about the Lord, the ascended Jesus, from scripture, we know that he lifts our head. I can't remember what the word is in sign language, but there's a word which is this. I can't remember what the word is. Somebody who does sign will be able to tell us. But it's sort of a a touching under the chin which lifts the chin. And when you see that... um, Done in a song of worship where someone does sign language to interpret the words. It's very moving because it's the Lord lifts my head. It's not a, you know, (laughs) it's a gentle, the Lord lifts your head. The Lord lifted his and he lifts ours. So I don't know about you, but I'm struck by this psalm. And what it says to us about the Lord Jesus In my business at work, we have, or the business I'm part of, we're having a restructure, we're having a reorganisation, we're having a significant transformation, there are major changes going on, there is great uncertainty, there's a lack of a sense of security and purpose, and my colleagues and I, we would really like someone to reveal the plan to reassure me that despite the complications and apparent opposition and doubts, there is a good plan and somebody's in control. quite like that. If you've ever been in those situations, it can be quite an unsettling time. In this psalm, we find the decrees of God revealed. In fact, in the whole of this, he speaks to us, doesn't he? But just in these seven verses, the shape of his plan for mankind and his purposes are revealed. Of a great high priest, of a king that rules, of a king that has opposition, of a king that will crush enemies at some point. It will happen. The Lord has said it will. And to close, let's go back to that business about willing troops. It's a simple sentence, really. Let's be willing followers, not coerced, but giving of ourselves to God. And let's submit to him as our Lord, our priest, and our King. And as David said, may we all be able to call him my Lord. Amen.
0: Let's come to God, with our prayers, Father God, we do praise you that your son is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, and we bring you our prayers in his name. We praise you that he intercedes for us. We praise you that he has been exalted to your right hand. That his enemies will be made a footstool for his feet. Lord, as we think of that promise that he will crush kings who have rejected his rule. That he will judge nations. Lord, we do pray that you would have mercy on those who have not yet accepted his rule. We pray for those uh, rulers of nations who believe that they are king or they worship a false king. Lord, open their eyes, soften their hearts. We pray for those who resorted to violence. We pray for those rulers of, uh, of ISIS who believe they can achieve what they want through violence. Lord, we pray that you would change their hearts. We pray that you would bring peace to this world. Lord, we pray for those who have misunderstood you who are seeking another way to you apart from through Jesus Christ, apart from through his death. And Lord, we do again pray that you would direct them in the right way. That they would come to you through him. Lord, we do pray that we would be those who are willing troops. And we do ask that you would enable us to submit every aspect of our lives to you. We bring you our our money and we ask that you would accept that as a, a token of our gratitude for all you've done for us and we do pray that you would Enable us to use that to, to grow your kingdom, that others may come into your kingdom and submit to Jesus as their king. Lord, we submit this week to you. We submit to you what we will be doing tomorrow morning. We submit to you our time, our relationships, our families, our, our work. Lord, we want you in all things to be rulers over every aspect of our lives and where we are holding back in some aspect of our lives, Lord, point that out to us, we pray, that that too we may give to you. Lord, we thank you that you have exalted us, that you have raised us with Christ, we pray now that you would enable us to set our hearts on things above where Christ is seated at your right hand. Help us to set our minds on those things and not on earthly things, for, for we have died as well, and our life is now hidden with Christ in you. And we praise you for that reassurance that when Christ is is who is our life appears, then we too will appear with him in glory. Lord lead us into that glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you please stay behind for some refreshments and have a chance to, to chat before the week ahead and pray for one another. Let's close now in prayer. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen.